You're listening to the Miscarriage Doula Podcast. I'm your host, Arden Cartret. This space is meant to be a tool for you to feel less alone and to learn more about how to get through what you've been through and what you're probably going through. We'll hear diverse stories from women and men in the online space, experts, and people just like you and me who are feeling the effects of miscarriage and loss in real time. This is the Miscarriage Doula Podcast. So I guess it kind of all starts um, just before my husband and I got married. Um, We both had baby fever big time and we were talking about like do we have to like wait until we're married like we knew we we, we had a wedding plan so we're like okay we'll, we'll probably just wait until like the wedding and then have a honeymoon baby right um turns out it's not that easy um you don't just get a honeymoon baby because you want one um so got married went on our honeymoon did not get pregnant um it was about five months of just, you know, thinking I knew what my cycle was like and that I like had it down and we were going to get pregnant. No big deal. And then like month six rolled around and I was frustrated and really, you know, knowing what I know now, six months of trying to have a baby is like nothing. Right. Um, so on month six, that's when I started, like, I'm like researching and I'm like, okay, let's do the ovulation predictor kits. We're going to get into this. So the first month we really started trying, um, I was still traveling for work. My husband was still traveling for work. So it was hard to like match our schedules up. And I would travel with my little peacocks and my little sticks. <laughs> and I was actually in Wisconsin when I got a positive OPK for the first time. And I was like, no, because you have a 24 hour window after that. And I was like, not, I wasn't going to be home until like 23 hours after that point. So um, got on a plane the next morning, got home, told my husband, like, let's do this. Let's make a baby. Um, so literally in the 23rd hour of that window um, and we got pregnant. So I, I felt like we were just like superstars for that, right? Like that was a very unlikely situation, but it happened. Um, so we were super excited, um, you know, first pregnancy for both of us. So we had nothing to compare it to. Um, we went in for our first ultrasound at 12 weeks and we were just so excited, like over the moon. And um, the sonographer um, you could tell she was younger and like newer to her career because um, she, her face just went like, just blank. And she was like, oh, hmm, interesting. And we're like, what, what's that? She was like, well, there's two. And we were, we were like, what? <laughs> Laughing hysterically. I think the words that came out of my mouth were, you've got to be shitting me. Because like, honestly, really, like, is this really happening to us? So we were just, again, over the moon, like, what are we going to do with twins? But like, how amazing is that? Um, And her face was still very like stoic. And she didn't, she wasn't as, she wasn't as overjoyed as we were. So um, she walked out of the room, told us she was going to get a second set of eyes. And we're just kind of looking at each other, laughing ourselves to tears because again, like, 
who would have thought this would happen to us? Twins do not run in our family. We're like, how did this happen? Um, next thing we know, another sonographer who um, is very obviously older and wiser <laughs> comes in and she starts looking at things and um, said that she noticed something that might, you know, pose some complications. Um, so we kind of started to get a little more worried at that point. And um, she said she was gonna go review with um, one of the maternal fetal medicine doctors and get back with us. So we're just kind of like, okay, you know, what's going on here? And um, the doctor came in next and he sat down and his demeanor was very doom and gloom. So we got real worried real quick. Um, and what he told us was that we had what are called monochorionic monoamniotic twins. So for anyone not familiar with the types of twins, the majority of twins are dichorionic diamniotic, which means there is two placentas, two amniotic sacs. The babies are very separated. Um, it's almost like having one baby just twice, right? Um, then the next level is monochorionic diamniotic. So there's one placenta, two amniotic sacs. So the babies share a placenta, but are in their own amniotic sacs. Monoamniotic, monochorionic twins share a placenta and an amniotic sac. And the risk for that is because they're in the same amniotic sac, their cords are both intertwined and run a high risk of entangling. So um, what he told us in this very short span of time where we were just like absorbing um, was that there was a 50% chance that our babies would survive. And there was a much higher chance that at least one of them would, would die, um, which didn't really register for me. What registered for me is when he told me that if they survived, they would spend many weeks in the NICU. And that was when I just like lost it because I couldn't even comprehend not taking my babies home. Um, so that was when I started having a really hard time. And there was so much more that he needed to tell us, but it was so hard to absorb after like that wave hit me. Um, another big thing that he told us was that um, at the 24, 24 week mark, they would admit me to the hospital for 24 hour observation. Um, so basically I had to make it to 24 weeks. And once we got there, I was in the hospital, they're much, they can do something quicker, right? If one of the baby's heart rate drops, they can intervene a lot quicker than if I'm at home, I have to go to the hospital. So there was a plan, um, you know, they, they have a plan for this situation, but it didn't take away from the doom and gloom. And I was really, you know, we walked away from that conversation with the doctor, very, just not, not feeling good about even like the prospect. And we walked away from that being like, we clearly need to talk to someone else because this guy doesn't think our babies are going to survive and we know they're going to survive. So that was our first ultrasound experience and it was intense. Um, and after that, we you know, went home and digested. Well, actually we didn't go home right away. We went directly to our parents' house and set down the ultrasound picture on their counters and watched everybody's faces be like, is that, is that 
two babies? And you're like, mm-hmm, yep, sure is two babies. Uh, so everyone was really shocked. Um, but we immediately made another appointment for an ultrasound with another um, hospital system up here in Cleveland and went to them and got a kind of a second opinion. They were far less doom and gloom. They were much more, you know, upbeat about the situation. Like, you know, we have several of these patients a year, you know, sometimes the outcome's not great, but we've had many babies who, you know, go the full, full term and survive and are great, you know, and all, all good things. So we were feeling a lot more positive after that, those conversations. Um, and our, our pregnancy kind of progressed from there. Um, it, it was all normal other than we went in every two weeks for ultrasounds. We got to see our babies all the time, which was so delightful. Um, but there was always the concern that we would go to an ultrasound and something would be wrong. Um, so I think it was at our 18-week ultrasound, um, I noticed one of the babies looked smaller than the other. And I brought it up. They didn't really seem concerned, but that's when I started getting concerned. I'm like, what is going on in there that that baby is not, you're not getting the same, you know, what he needs as the other baby. Um, so I started getting a little concerned. At our 20-week ultrasound, we went in and um, that's when they told us that one of the babies did not have a heartbeat. Um, so that was probably the hardest day of my life. Um, can remember the exact room it happened in and it was, it's just an indescribable amount of pain that truly like if you've not lost a baby, I don't even know how to explain it to a person. It was gut-wrenching. And like it's just something I will never ever forget that feeling, I don't think, as long as I live. Um so that was rough, but it didn't end there. Um so because we had lost that baby, not only were we grieving him, because that was also the day that we found out we were having boys. <laughs> um we had to worry a lot about our other twin, our surviving twin, because when um, you have mono-mono twins and one dies, there's a risk of um, like a rush of blood to the other baby, which can cause like brain, I don't know, I think it was like a stroke or something. Anyway, something with their brain. Um, so I had to go have a fetal MRI to check on uh, the second baby's brain. Um, if you've never had an MRI, that's an experience in and of itself right there. <laughs> um, very like out of this world, like I feel like you're like, going into like NASA or something like underground in the big tunnels. But uh, had the fetal MRI and it turned out that everything was great. Um, he looked really good. So we were feeling really positive. You know, this is not the situation that we had hoped for. Um, but this baby is going to survive. You know, he, we may have lost one baby, but now hopefully he has a better chance at making it and, you know, all is good. Um, we did end up naming them at that point because we couldn't keep calling them baby A and baby B. Um, so we named um, the first baby that we lost. His name was Alexander. And um, 
because he had a name, we couldn't not name the other one. <laughs> because again, we couldn't just call him Baby B when he, his brother had a name. Um, so is Alexander and Kate's. And um, the next week after my MRI, we went back in for another ultrasound and they told us we had lost case two. This was 10 days before I was to be admitted to the hospital for the 24 hour observation. So we were 10 days away from them potentially saving one of our babies. And it was gut-wrenching all over again. It, but in like a whole different, it, you grieve losing the first one, losing a not only a baby, but like the life you have planned with twins. It took us so long to wrap our heads around the idea of having two babies <laughs> and like how we were gonna accomplish that. Um, and we finally did, and then we lost a baby. And then we wrapped our head around the idea of like, okay, you know, we're gonna raise our son and tell him that he had a brother, um, that his brother didn't make it. And we had all these plans for how we were going to tell our surviving baby how he made it into the world. And all of those, it's just, it was just like plan after plan and dream after dream were just taken away from us. Um, it was indescribable. And again, it didn't stop there um, because at that point um, I was 22 weeks. So that meant I had two options. I could have a DE and uh, or I could deliver my babies. And um, when she explained the d &E, she said, you know, they won't be, I think the word she used was they won't be intact. And that to me, I was just like, how, I mean, these are like, I've seen these babies like every two weeks for the last 22 weeks. I've seen them so many times, like they're babies. They're not just, I don't know, things that you, so we made the decision to deliver our babies, um, went to the hospital, got a nice quiet room in the back corner and um, they induced me and 27 hours later, I delivered our babies. <laughs> uh, they had told me it'll, it'll probably take like 12 hours. Nope, 27. Um, and it wasn't a horribly like, like they were still so small, right? So at 22 weeks, you're not delivering full-term babies. So it's not a horribly like painful process, but the emotional part of it was just excruciating to sit there for 27 hours and know that when those babies are born, they will not cry. Um, that was the hardest part. Babies are supposed to cry when they're born and they did not cry. Um, so we spent the next day at the hospital. Um, they have the little bassinets with the little air conditionings for them. So our babies got to stay in the room with us got to hold them and take pictures with them. And I'm very, very grateful that, you know, we made the decision to have them and hold them and, you know, see them and all of those things. Um, it wasn't easy by any means, but it really helped us to feel connected to them because they are, they are our first babies and they may have not got to stick around, but they're our family and knowing their faces um, 
I'm I'm so glad that we made that decision together to to do that. And yeah, it was just an indescribable experience. And with their their birth, did you do an epidural or anything, or were any pain meds offered to you? I did do an epidural. Um, it was horrible. Um, <laughs> they had a student do it. Uh, it's a teaching hospital. Probably not a great teaching moment. <laughs> but uh, yeah, they had a student do it. Do it, and at one point. Um, I heard like the, the teaching doctor say, no, no, not like that. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what is happening right now? No. <laughs> what are you doing oh. to me? It was incredibly painful when they put it in. Um, it didn't work really well. Um, so I was regaining feeling every couple hours. So they just started, they were like, oh, well, we can replace it. And I'm like, nope, no, thank you. Hard pass on that. Um, so they just started, it started like shooting me up. <laughs> through it and just like adding more medicine I was like thank you but we also had some like in addition to that some other weird experiences like how these things happen I don't know um but like a, a nurse anesthetist come in and say oh is this your first baby I'm like oh no gosh no, it's like no. they don't even read yeah the chart of the room that they're going in mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so there and are a lot I've of I was just gonna say, I've talked to people who always have a story like that. And very few people have told me that their doctor's offices or hospitals have something that they put on the door. Like, I mean, in in not so um, blunt words, but like not a happy situation going on in here. And I think that that's such a great thing to do I don't know why more don't where I've heard um of some hospitals using sound machines that way people can't hear the healthy babies crying and things like that and it's like how is this not common practice I mean we're humans you know we have to see whenever somebody has lost a child right why are we not caring more in the moment I guess um and that's a good example of not even thinking before speaking yeah it happened to us quite a few times, um, even in our doctor's office, like one of the sonographers coming in and like, oh, I know it was after we lost Alexander and we went in for another ultrasound the next week. And she goes, so what are you here for today? And we were like, mm, to make sure our second baby didn't die. Like, I, like how do you answer that question? <laughs> Did you read? <laughs> because I'm yeah. sure that would have let you know why we're here. So yeah, that happened yeah. quite a few times, but after that, <laughs> um, you know, after that was just a rough time, um, I think to, to put it lightly, um, I was fortunate to take about a month off of work Um, I think my husband went back to work the very next day because that's just the kind of person he is. Um, But I I took a month off and um, probably wasn't nearly enough. Um, I have, after having gone through the experience, like firmly believe that I probably should have like had maternity leave because at the end of the day, I had babies. Um, 
and that is something that you know I've kind of continued to talk about with with people is like that that should be woven into your you know paid leave is if someone loses a baby they're not ready to come back to work most of the time not physically you know definitely not mentally and emotionally um so I you know went back after a month not a great situation just because I wasn't ready um so I think I was back at work for two or three weeks when I I told my boss at the time I was like I can't I can't do this um so I scaled back to just working three days a week for a few months, um, started going to therapy, um, started taking um, some medication to help me and things like progressively got a little better. Um, I did about at my six week postpartum appointment, they did find um, retained placenta. So I had to go have a DNC after all of that, which was fun. Um, it was another great experience. <laughs> um, and then, you know, I had asked them at my six week postpartum appointment, I was like, like now what? I mean, I was planning to have by that point, two babies born, you know? Um, so I was like, now what? Because I'm not, re- I'm not willing to wait. Um, I'm a baby. <laughs> So, and, you know, their response was, are you sure? Like, are you sure you're ready? You know, a lot of people need more time. And I was like, I want a baby. You know, I, I, there, there's no mistaking my, my babies are gone and I'm horribly sad about that, but I still want a baby. Um, so what was really great is that the maternal fetal medicine office that we were going to was the same office where the, um, reproductive endocrinologist worked as well. So they were like, set up an appointment. It's probably going to be a few months because <laughs> she's real backed up, but set it up now. And that way, if you haven't gotten pregnant by then, you have an appointment, you're good to go. So I did. Um, this was January. My appointment was in June. So it was, there was some time. Yeah, uh, there was some time in between there. Um, so we started going back to just, you know, tried and true method of dipping the stick in the pee every month and (laughs) hoping for the best um so I did get a positive pregnancy test in May of that year and you know we were just so anxious about it um and then after three days I think three or four days I started spotting and then the next morning I woke up and was bleeding very heavily. And so we went, I called my doctor and they're like, go to the emergency room. So we did, we got there. And net of this story is that an older white male doctor more or less told me that I wasn't pregnant and that was my period. That drives me, I, I knew where you were going right whenever you said that you were, that you went to the ER just because I myself have been to the ER during a miscarriage at seven weeks and was treated as if I was completely crazy, um, let alone by men who don't even menstruate, who don't even bleed from like an orifice of their body, <laughs> like the nerve. What did you do? Right. Like, as if I don't know 
as if I haven't had, I don't know, I can even calculate that quickly <laughs> in my brain, as if I haven't done this monthly for, you know, almost two decades, like, come on, um, I cried, <laughs> that's it, that's all I could, I mean, what could I do? Um, yeah, in the know? moment, you can't even, like, come back with any kind of smart remark or anything to people, yeah. it's so hard. He, he tried to get in touch with um, my doctor and he couldn't. So that was his diagnosis is that I was having my period. Is that what he put on your medical documents from your ER stay? I honestly have no idea. I'm not sure that I even looked back at that. Um, well then don't, if you haven't, yeah, because that's a big mistake, but yeah. um, I was just wondering, <laughs> I didn't know if he sent you home just I'm assuming he sent you home just to bleed and was like, yeah. you're fine. Oh, yeah. Don't worry about it. Yeah. yeah. He said, follow up with your doctor. Insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, went home and that happened and, um, had my appointment with the RE the next month, kind of, you know, told her everything that I believe to be true about, you know, my pregnancies up until that point. And, you know, we are in a a difficult situation because the twins that we lost, like that is incredibly rare. I think it's like a one percent chance to get pregnant with mono mono twins. You know, like there and there's there's no rhyme or reason. It's chance. Um, you know, it doesn't run in the family. Like there's no genetic component. There's li- literally is completely chance. So there was no reason for us to believe that we would have any issues getting pregnant. But again, it went back to like, I wasn't willing to wait. I didn't want to wait another six months to get pregnant. Um, You know, I wanted to be pregnant literally (laughs) the day I left the hospital from having the twins. Like I wanted a baby. So I, I think we were very fortunate that she, she got it you know, and she wasn't, she wasn't going to make us like jump through hoops or wait more time. Like she understood, she got it. She's like, let's get the ball rolling. Um, and because after I did have the boys, I started having like really irregular periods. So it was kind of like hit or miss on, you know, tracking things. Um, so she started me on letrozole, um, just to kind of, you know, get things a little bit more routine. So we were doing letrozole and timed intercourse and month one came and went, month two came and went. And I told my husband, I was like, if it does not happen this month, like we're, we're moving on next step. Like we're not, I'm not, I'm so sick of waiting. Um, we got pregnant that month. <laughs> so I guess if you just tell the universe that you are not going to wait anymore, um, it's going to do something. Um, so we got pregnant, I think that was in August of 2018, no, 2019. And um, we went to our, well, we had a very early ultrasound um, then just because of, I think they knew that we were, you know, stressed. Um, so I think we had an ultrasound at eight weeks and everything looked good. Um, went back in at 12 weeks just for, I think just like, I don't know, the timing of this one is a little crazy to me. Um, But I think it was at 13 weeks or something around there. 
um, we went in just for an appointment, not an ultrasound. We were still going to the maternal fetal medicine doctor because like that's who we knew at that point, like was the only OB I ever had. So, um, and she, you know, wonderful human being. She was like, let's just do a quick ultrasound so you can see your baby and like, you know, real happy. Um, she's also the the same doctor who told us that we'd lost both of our babies before. So, you know, she's like at this point, highly invested in, in like giving us good news and helping us have a baby. Um, so she did a quick ultrasound and she didn't find heartbeat. So that was, I think that was 13 weeks. It was either 10 or 13 weeks. I don't know why I can't remember that right now, but uh, lost yet another baby and had to go have a DNC. Um, it was, the DNC was scheduled exactly 10 months from my first DNC after we lost the boys. So it was just, I don't know. We tried to find the comedy in anything that we possibly could because there was just nothing funny about the situation. Um, so we just looked for literally any tiny thing that we could find some humor in. Um, so had that DNC was really feeling like it just wasn't going to happen. Like we were just like doomed to not have a baby. And, you know, like in retrospect, it, and after talking to so many people, like it's so hard because in your small bubble, it feels like the end of the world and like, it's never going to happen for you. And, but like, in the grand scheme of things, I logically know that there are people who try for a decade to have a baby and still, you know, don't get a baby. But it's like, you can't, in that moment, there's just no possible way to break out of your small bubble of why in the world is this happening to me? Like, why can I not keep a baby? Um, so like the logical part of me like knows you've got time, you haven't been trying that long but the emotional part of me is like, why? Like, this is, like, this is so unfair. You know, we're good people. We just want a baby. Like, give us a baby. Um, so we were, we were really frustrated. And like, you know, we, we even had conversations of like, what if we just stop trying? You know, what if we just be happy being us? You know, we love each other. We have a great time together. Let's be the people who go travel the world and you know just like that's going to be our life and maybe we just have to be okay with that um so we took a slight break uh we lost that baby in November we got through the holidays we planned a vacation for our anniversary and I told our we ultimately decided to tell our RE, our our RE that when we got back from vacation we wanted to do IUI no more of this timed intercourse shit. Like we're just do like let's just move on. Um, so we went on our vacation. We had a wonderful time. We came back, um, started IUI. Uh, first first month or first time we did it, um, I had to travel for work in like the next couple weeks. And company I was working for was having their annual sales kickoff it's a big party, you know, everyone's drinking and having fun. And I'm like, no guys, can't drink, trying to have a baby. Um, and then the last day of that annual sales kickoff, I started my period and I was just a wreck. 
and I called my boss. I was like, I, I was like, I have to, I have to leave. I have to go home. So I paid the $250 to get on an earlier flight because I just needed to go home. I was just so defeated. And I just couldn't even like face, even though no one knew, I couldn't face people knowing that like I had sat there and said, no, I can't drink. I'm gonna have a baby. Like I've been doing this for my baby and no baby yet again. Um, so it was just, just, it's, it's the most defeating thing. So we tried again the next month. We got pregnant. And it was terrifying, but like also like super exciting. And, you know, we toyed with the idea of not telling people right away, you know, because well, you should wait till you're 12 weeks because, you know, then the risk goes down. Like, that really doesn't mean anything. I mean, I am living proof that you can lose a baby at any time. 12 weeks, 20 weeks, 40 weeks. What is, I mean, it's, like, I'm not going to, you know, not be excited about this because something could go wrong because that's not fair to my baby. You know, he or she should know that I was excited from day one and I wasn't scared of what could happen, that I was rooting for them. And I believed that everything was going to be fine. I wanted, I wanted that in the universe, that I was excited for this and I believed it was going to happen. Um, so we told people, I think around, we were like, eight weeks it was right after COVID hit and everything shut down our um photographer that we had done pictures with after we lost the boys um she was doing stoop shoots so she came by everybody's house and I got a little bored and it said quarantine baby <laughs> due I think it was December 2020 <laughs> so that's how we announced our quarantine baby um and things proceeded pretty normally for quite some time. Still going, well, actually, I um, decided that we could go to a normal OB because this was a normal pregnancy as far as we knew. Um, so started seeing a regular old OB and I think I saw him twice before I started bleeding. <laughs> Uh. <laughs> I just have to add in here that I'm on the edge of my seat just like every single <laughs> listener like please let this be the rainbow baby <laughs> oh my gosh right like it's it's a journey <laughs> um so this was at 18 weeks um so I called um my OB and they said to go in for an ultrasound they couldn't get me in for an ultrasound for three days. I know, bizarre, right? I was like, because mm, it had stopped. I bled a little bit and then it stopped. So they're like, mm, you know, no big deal, I guess, whatever. So most like just horrible three days, so stressful. Um, I went in for my ultrasound and baby had a heartbeat. 
moving around. We were feeling good. We're like, okay, everything's fine. Um, and then at the very end, she was like, your cervix is a little shorter than we'd like it to be. So I'm going to go talk with the doctor. She comes back in and she was like, the doctor's already left, but he's on the phone and he wants to talk to you. So I'm sitting, it's like after five o'clock, we waited for like, I think like an hour and a half for this appointment. So they were so backed up. Um, afternoon appointments are horrible. Um, so we're sitting in the middle of this doctor's office, like at the nurse's station on speakerphone with this doctor. And he tells us that he wants us to go to the hospital immediately. And I'm like, okay, sure. What, what is happening? So um, got to the hospital, had, really didn't comprehend. I mean, I kind of comprehended. I feel like by this point in time, I was like really good at the medical lingo and stuff. <laughs> Picked up a lot over the course of the, the two years. Um, I had, at 18 weeks, I was dilated a centimeter um, and I had what they call a short cervix. So they basically told me because you don't seem to be, you know, dilating anymore, you know, you're probably fine for right now. You can stay the night and um, your doctor will see you in the morning here in the hospital, like, or you can go home. Like, well, I mean, I can go, I'll go home, I guess. Like if I'm not just going to sit here in the hospital all night just for fun. You know, if my doctor's not going to see me until the morning, there's nothing emergent to be done. So, um, we went back in the morning. Hospital's like 45 minutes away too. So it was like, not like a fun back and forth, but whatever, you know, the things you do for your unborn babies, um, all of the things. Um, we get back in the morning and we sit down with this doctor and we'd met this doctor one time when we were pregnant with the twins. And he was actually the one that I brought up, um, the one baby looking smaller than the other. And the one baby who was smaller than the other was the one who died first. So I have like a strong prejudice against this doctor because he did not take me seriously. He was very just like abrupt with me. He like just rubbed me the wrong way the first time we met him. So I was not looking forward to meeting with him. And actually in the pregnancy before that, they had asked me if I was okay with him um, seeing me instead of the doctor that we liked. And I was like, no. I will wait an extra week. I don't want to see him. So like I had gone out of my way to not see this doctor. So we sit down with him and he explained very well what was going on. Um, if this was like, I don't know, nine months ago, I could have probably explain it to you really well, but it's like a blur in my brain now. But essentially like I was in a gray area because your cervix is supposed to be so many centimeters, millimeters long. Mine was in like a, on, on an edge of where it should be. Um, and then I'd only dilated one centimeter. Had it been two centimeters, the path forward would have been clear. And the paths were basically, you get a cerclage, which is stitching up your cervix. Um, there is a risk of rupturing the placenta or amniotic sac, probably that, uh, when they do that, um, and then you would lose your baby. So that's the like safest, like the safest long-term solution, but the highest risk solution. 
Um, he's like, we can wait until next week and see if you've dilated anymore, see how your cervix looks. Um, he's like, there's also a clinical trial that you could get in where um, there's some other device that you could use, but in a clinical trial, it's a 50-50 chance. And if you are actually going to get the thing that would save your baby. So what was so amazing is that we were talking to this doctor that we did not want to see at all. And I cannot, in retrospect, think of a better person who could have like explained all of these options. Like he laid it out so perfectly and like just so clearly. And like, I am incredibly grateful that it was him explaining that to us because he just, I think he was the right person to do that for us. Um, So we ultimately like left that room saying like, okay, I guess we have to make a decision. Like, we don't know what we're going to do. There was also like a time limit on it. Like, I think it was by the time you get to like 21 weeks or 20 weeks, like that's too late to do the cerclage at that point. So like we, there was a window in which we had to make a decision. And if we didn't decide to do the cerclage, then like we run the risk of something happening and we lose our baby. So we ultimately decided just to kind of monitor things. So we were going every, every week for a while for ultrasounds, just that, to check it, to see if I had dilated anymore, to check my cervix and everything um, was going okay. And they were like, okay, we can probably scale back to like two weeks for appointments. And so we scaled back to two weeks and basically every week, that my baby remained where he was, was like a big win. Um, so we got to, gosh, probably like 26 weeks, things are still going well. And like, at that point, like, you by no means want your baby to be born at 26 weeks. However, there's a possibility of your baby surviving at 26 weeks. So we were like highly stressed about that. And I'm doing all of this like research of like, what are, what are the, what is it, what's a baby's life look like if it's born that early? And like, I'm, you know, doing, reading all of these things and looking at all the statistics and like probabilities of survival. And it was just a lot. Um, so to take my mind off that, um, my body decided that it would get a horribly itchy rash all over it from head to toe. Um, if anyone's had it, it's called pups. It's miserable. Uh, it was just excruciating. I would rather be in pain than itch. Honestly, it was horrible. So that lasted about like a month, left on the couch with ice packs every night, was taking like scalding hot showers to make it stop itching. Um, but it distracted me from all of that research on probabilities of my baby, you know, not surviving. So I guess that's the silver lining. Um, then we got into, you know, third trimester and our baby was measuring enormous. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, ah, what does that mean? Like, is he going to be have to be born early? And you know, there was, there were a lot of conversations, but like, basically we won't do it before 37 weeks. You might have to have a C-section, blah, blah, all these different options. And as we were talking about it, I was like, 
can I have a C-section? Like if I want to have a C-section, turns out you can elect to have a C-section. Not many people I think um, know or want to do that, but I did because after delivering our twins, it was an experience I never needed to have again. I wanted a baby. <laughs> I just, that was it. I just needed him out and in my arms and crying. And um, so that's what I opted to do. And they told me they could schedule my C-section for 39 weeks. 39 weeks to the day was the day that our twins were born. So it was, once they told me that, I was like, well, that's clearly a sign that that's, that's when he should be born. Um, they didn't have any OR availability that day. So, <laughs> so my C-section was scheduled for the day after. Um, so he made it. He made it that whole time. We were waiting and waiting and waiting. I dilated a centimeter at 18 weeks and he hung in there until 39 weeks. My baby was born on December 1st, 2020. He is perfect and healthy and truly just like the light of my life. He is, it's a happy ending to this story of three years of struggle um, and we'll always, we'll always carry all of that with us. And we have a special place in our family for our twins, um, but we're very, very fortunate to have our son now. Um, long road. Yeah. But he's here. Well, and motherhood after loss, it's, um, it's confusing, but also so beautiful because it's like you said, like you miss the babies that you've lost but you're so happy for the baby that you have and you can't imagine life any differently than seeing this baby smile and this baby's milestones. And it, it adds a level of confusion to grief, at least in my experience of being happy and sad at the same time. <laughs> like it's yeah, very it, hard. And we've talked a lot about, you know, if we hadn't lost the twins, Kane wouldn't be here. I mean, we, there's a very, very small, I mean, it, he probably wouldn't be the same baby, but we wouldn't have him, you know, we would be dealing with right. twin toddlers right now and probably pulling our hair out, which would have been beautiful in and of itself. But that's, that's, it's such a struggle because we'd give anything to have them here, except the baby that we have now. <laughs> so it's, right. and it makes no sense to the outside world, but like no. other lost moms totally understand. <laughs> And it's, it's so hard. And I, I love that, um, you know, being a listener of your story, you advocate for yourself so beautifully, like between work and personal life and with your medical care. And I just, um, that is something to celebrate about your personality that that came so natural to you to advocate for yourself in the very beginning. Um, you know, I, I talked to a lot of women who don't realize that they need to until after a really horrible experience. And I just feel like your story is of you sticking up for yourself, you know, saying that work, you can't handle the full workload. And so you stepped back a little bit to have some time. And I like, no, 
we don't do that and we should, and we should, you know, hearing your story, I hope that somebody listens to this and they think like, okay, so I had a month off too, and I didn't feel normal. And like, I deserve more time or like, it's okay for me to go back and say, you know what? I'm not okay. I need to take time. Um, it's just, it's very empowering. I just have to point that out that that's what I hear in your story is advocacy the entire time. Yeah. And that's really important to me. And, you know, since we've gone through all of this, I've met so many more, or I've talked to so many more people that I know about their struggles. And there's someone very close to us who, um, she's gone through quite a bit herself over the last you know, three, four years. And, um, all I could keep telling her was don't wait anymore. Go to a doctor. Like, you know, if your current, like OBGYN isn't giving you the answers that you want, find a different one, you know, like the, there's, it weighs so heavily on your mental health and your relationships and just it it really is all encompassing when you're going through it so like don't wait to get the help that you deserve because any good doctor is going to recognize that you need it whether whether you meet a timeline or not um and and everyone needs that so just ask for the help and get the baby that you want or deserve, or at least, at least get some support through what you need to do. Um, it should not be a doctor making you feel like you don't know what you're talking about, or you're crazy, or you need to wait longer. Like that's, that's not, that's not a thing. Um, and I feel like so many women experience that with doctors who don't necessarily understand because they're used to treating women with perfectly normal pregnancies go find a maternal fetal medicine specialist they'll see people uh like go find an re who gets it who talks to women every day who are experiencing these struggles because it'll be a completely different experience that will it will totally shift the way that you view trying to conceive you are part of it then like and you have the support holding you through it it's not this like very lonely journey of tracking an app every month. And I think everybody deserves that support and you shouldn't have to wait a year for it, or you shouldn't have to wait three miscarriages for it. Like if, if you need the support, it should be there for you. And I think good doctors recognize that. Yeah, for sure. I, um, I recently did a recurrent pregnancy loss webinar and I explained the difference in like the doctors, because a lot of people will go to their OB after two miscarriages and they'll request testing and have all these concerns and their OB is like, Oh, we can't do anything for you until three miscarriages, which is outdated information. And even if they could, they, like you said, they see healthy pregnancies more than they see miscarriage. They are not specialists on getting you pregnant and keeping you through the first trimester. Their specialty is like second, third trimester and, and on, you know, um, an RE is really, or um, um, an MFM doctor is really your best bet at having help in getting and staying pregnant and having support, especially early on in a pregnancy after loss. Um, and people don't realize that you can just go and see one. 
Like mm-hmm. it might be costly, you know, it might not be the yeah. cheapest option, but you can just go. Um, you don't need permission from anybody to do that. Yep. I think that that's all really great. And I think your, your story is painful, um, but there's also hope in there. And there's, you know, I relate whenever you said that you try to find like the comedy in it. Um, my rainbow was born the day after I lost my second baby and my second baby, I had a horrible experience in a hospital. Um, and a, a year and a day later to the date, he was born. And to me at first, I I thought that that day was like doomed. I was like, there's no way I can go into the hospital on that day. But then the more I thought about it, I was like, maybe it's a gift from that baby, or maybe it's their way of reinstating this time of year and not making it so painful. And that really helped shift my mindset a little bit. It's still hard. It's definitely, you know, it's still hard to, every time I say my son's birthday, knowing that it's the day after one of the harder days of my life. But um, it also gives me another reason to think about them in those yeah. moments. Yeah. Loss sucks. I say that in every call that I have. It just, just sucks. Um, but, you know, you made it through and you made it through pregnancy after loss. And here you are with your beautiful baby. Here I am. <laughs> it's hard to believe sometimes, but yeah. We have an eight-month-old baby who is sitting up and refuses to get any teeth and throws crackers on the floor. So, like, that's life. And, like, literally would change nothing about it. Yeah. It's perfect. I can relate. Well, Lauren, (laughs) thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, Where can people connect with you if they want to just uh, connect with you after listening to this episode or have any questions or anything like that. If you want to give your Instagram handle. Yeah, I'm on Instagram. It's LMC Kaiser, K-I-S-E-R. Okay. And I'll link it in the show description as well, but that way people, I know that whenever people listen to these episodes, they love to follow up with like, heard your episode and I relate in this way. And it's a really great way to meet other lost moms in the community. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's great. great.